I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Welcome back to Keanu Believe It, the only podcast that is all Keanu Reeves all the time. I'm Sam Van Haren, assistant editor at Talk Film Society and a lifelong fan of the singular Keanu Reeves. I will be your guide through his diverse and interesting career. Each week, a guest and I will discuss a film from his filmography, which I'm working through in chronological order. On this episode, we'll be discussing 1986's Flying, aka Dream to Believe, a.k.a. Teenage Dream. My guest uh, for this episode is Sean Beatty from Talk Film Society. How's it going, Sean? Uh, it's going pretty well. I uh, watched the movie. Good. That's <laughs> that's bare minimum, and uh, but it's good uh, for this. Uh, Flying was directed by Paul Lynch and written by John Shepard. It stars uh, Olivia Dabo, Keanu Reeves, obviously, uh, Rita Tushingham, Jessica Steen and Sean McCann. Before we get too far into uh, the mo- this movie, I always like to ask my guests who are the, their first time uh, what their thoughts on Keanu Reeves are, uh, as it is a Keanu Reeves podcast. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Keanu Reeves, Sean? I think that he's a very interesting actor in that he has developed a kind of depth that m- maybe went unrecognized on first watch through most of his early work. Um, I think that, you know, while he started out with the, for lack of a better term, you know, surfer type with uh, mm-hmm. Bill and Ted and, you know, Point Break and even parts of Speed. I think right. I think that as he's gotten older, he's brought a lot more maturity and, like I said, depth to his performances than mm-hmm. maybe people recognized on first watch. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I think... Uh, I was talking, you know, on earlier episodes, we talked about, uh, it's funny because his, you know, one of his first movies was uh, River's Edge, and he does a really good job in that movie, as opposed to necessarily in this one, where it's, uh, I feel like, I mean, this movie has a lot of uh, writing issues, so, uh, I mean, it's hard, he, he has very little to go on uh, in this movie. It's so, true. It's it, true. I feel, the movies where he, he's not necessarily an actor who can bring to life a completely lackluster script like it's it, he needs at least some kind of thing to latch on to and there's really nothing here for him to do he, that with he's definitely a performer who rises to the material mm-hmm. uh and he's very material dependent obviously um i mean for instance in his, some of his later work like uh, devil's advocate a lot of people have said that he seems kind of wooden in the role but i think that that's very much on purpose to serve mm-hmm. the the, you know the needs of the role itself right and here i mean he does his best to pull off the bully cool kid type of character because right. mm-hmm. he's play, he's playing a high school kid type yeah and i mean he does his best to pull off the 
what would have been very much more awkward moments than they turn out to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moments still turn out to be kind of awkward because the writing's not all there in the dialogue. Right. Uh, yeah. So for those who don't know, which this is this movie was pretty hard to find. Uh, I was able to find it on uh, Netflix disc, but it was a very it's the disc what it's like just a VHS quality rip onto a disc with like <laughs> and the the only special feature on the disc is like cast descriptions with bad grammar and like trivia about the cast members. Uh, so, uh, and it's on YouTube, uh, also, which is where I... In its entirety. Uh, it is. <laughs> uh, so the movie is about, uh, Olivia Dabo plays a high school student who, uh, used to be a champion, uh, gymnast. Uh, she suffered a knee injury. We find out later what that, uh, came from, but basically she's a new kid, uh, in a school. Uh, she's like doing her, she's... Help. She's like a towel girl uh, for the gymnastics team. Uh, everyone's mean to her for no reason. There, there are very little motivations for any of the side characters in this movie. It's all uh, very service level. <laughs> like they're they, you know, she has two bullies. Uh, one who's named Leia, which is you know, uh, okay, that's and, a choice. <laughs> uh, and apparently, so I just oddly enough, this movie screened at Cannes in 1986. Really, which is a interesting uh, movie. Uh, it's so it's a Canadian movie. So that's why it has multiple titles. Uh, I assume it was called Flying in Canada, and then you know, Dream to Believe when it was released uh, in the states. That's just my guess. Uh, but yeah, very surface level. Uh, these bullies, like they don't even give a general idea of why they're mean to her. Like at least they could. Uh, the movie, you know, has reveals later that maybe they're bullying her because she's poor or something, but they never actually, they don't bully her specifically about that. So it's kind of just, you know, they need bullies. They need conflicts. You know? Yeah, they, they need conflicts. So these two girls are going to be super competitive and maybe, you know, needlessly so. Mm-hmm. And needlessly cruel at moments, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it jumps from them just being kind of like maybe jealous and a little just snuck stuck up to being actively harmful like you know carry almost carry level uh, not quite but like you could see that that happening uh, at some point if it was let to go that way but like there were moments where i expected the movie for them to like screw with some of the gymnastics uh, equipment or something to try yeah. and mess with her like mm-hmm. in the middle of practice or something right because there's just that like staring daggers in every scene kind mm-hmm. of motivation that seem that screams like they're going to screw with her in a uh-huh. really cruel way and the cruelest way they do it is they fake an invitation to her like crushes party at like a mansion or something right like and it's so uh obvious like they it's uh, so yes. plainly obvious yeah. like she gets a letter in her locker and it says it's clearly not a guy's handwriting like at uh, all it's at way a, too florid and uh so and then like it says dress uh funk dress freaky or something like you know it's like a costume party uh and then dress, she dress funky and, yeah. and she goes to goodwill and just like ransacks the aisles in one of the movie's many 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 montages yeah let's bring that up uh so the movie opens with a montage and it's the first and there are, I count, there are three montages in the first 12 minutes of this movie. 
There uh, are more montages in this movie, possibly, than Rocky Four, which is like 90% montage. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is the first... The first one is her, like, watching the popular girls uh, do stuff, and then... Uh, and then there's, like, another one where uh, she's just, like, going home, uh, and then there's another one where she's uh, training. So it's like... Uh, yeah, very much... Very many montages. Uh, we'll do a count-off as we work our way through. Uh, <laughs> uh, so she lives with uh, her racist, sexist jerk of a stepdad uh, and her mom. Cartoonishly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the first thing he does is says, damn foreigners. Like, that's the kind of uh, guy we're dealing with uh, here. And again, uh, just very little motivate. Like, it's just... He's just a jerk because it, it's kind of got, you know, the Cinderella vibe to it. Like she's working in a. Uh, he's, ex- he's he's almost exclusively a jerk because the movie needs one of the parents to be absolutely discouraging. Mm-hmm. So he's just going to fill that role because the mother plays the obvious stereotype of the sick at home mom who motivates her through through her triumph at the end of the movie. Spoiler right. alert. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not. It is not a radical uh, ending with her losing and learning some humility so not that kind of movie uh, uh, so she goes out uh, and she apparently she uh, rehearses or she trains in a rundown carpet factory uh, as you do uh, getting and, leered at by the security guard by the way. oh yeah this movie and this you can very clearly tell that this movie was shot by a man and directed by a man there's the so much male gaze possible yeah, in really uncomfortable, uh, gratuitous shots of that, like, there's no reason for this shot to like. They're not showing off how cool they're, uh, you know, how good they are at being athletes. It's very much just here's their sweaty cleavage, and that's you know. <laughs> and and there's another montage we can talk about in a moment that's even worse. Right. Uh, so uh, she makes uh, a friend in uh, Carly, who's played by. Uh, Jessica Steen, uh, she's, uh, and I actually, you know, this friendship is fine. Uh, I think the three main, you know, act like Carly uh, and uh, Olivia Dabo as Robin, uh, they do fairly decent, you know, 80s job. They're not bad actors by any means. They don't give any, you know, they don't give a bad performance. It's just very obvious and... Uh, There's not it, a lot there. No. Yeah. But it helps you, you know, but their friendship and helps at least helps you pull you through the movie uh, a little you, bit. You do feel like these people could be friends. Right. In watching it. There's just not a lot of meat to their relationship. Yeah. Uh, and so we find out that uh, her knee injury that stopped her from competing uh, was actually uh, a car accident that killed her dad. Um, so obviously there needs to be a dead father because she needs to uh, have some kind of uh, motivation uh, but the weirdest thing is like the way her mom dies like out of nowhere is that, that was really like it, it almost comes across like they ran out of money to pay the mom so they just right. like quick rewrote on the fly like oh she's dead right like uh, she's at a club they call there's a phone call uh, they say your mom's in the hospital the next scene is after the house after the funeral like that's and how and, and they the never tell us how she dies. They never tell us how she dies. They never tell us who called her at the club that would know she's there to call and say, hey, your mom's dead. Like, because she doesn't tell anybody where she goes. 
And I, I guess, you know, they suggest that she's sick, like she's uh, early on, but they never actually explicitly stated. It just maybe, you know, in retrospect, maybe that's what they were trying to say is that she was had some kind of disease or something. But in their first scene together, Robin, you know, does say, you know, the chemicals here in the in the in the laundromat aren't doing anything for your health, and oh. a bag of me- medication. Yeah, that's but fair. that's that's the most that they do to indicate that the mother's anything other than just you know beaten down by life. Right. Uh, yeah. So and that brings so uh, she makes friends with uh, Carly, and they go to this. They go to her. She's like Carly's a rich girl. Uh, she has her own private gym uh, in her house. Uh, and then this is where montage number four, uh, keep on track, uh, is this is the most uncomfortable scene of the movie. Uh, the worst it just, montage. Yeah, another montage, but it's all just all these re- these training. There's these weirdest shots I've ever seen where like the camera's positioned between their legs. Oh my! And there's and you're not seeing any like there's not showing how good this uh, routine is or how hard they're working. It just it's just a very leery Creepy. close-up. Yeah. Um, and it's several leery close-ups in series. <laughs> yeah. It's gross. I mean, it, it, it's almost <laughs> like some weird, pervy 80s workout video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was surprised that, like, there's this weird stuff with uh, Keanu's character, Tommy, where, like, he's got he's getting bad advice from his friend of being, like, you know, doing the, uh, you know, nagging her or acting mm-hmm. ignoring her to get her attention uh and then they're just doing that as like just basically to fill time like they uh there's really no purpose for it and then suddenly he just uh and then there's a romance montage right there's a courtship montage uh you know why waste time developing a relationship with you know actually having conversations let's just have uh montage number five or six i'm, I'm losing track but uh not yeah, a Lou Bega track, by the way. <laughs> they go from, uh, you know, arguing to having a date to really awkwardly making out in the course of three minutes. Uh, so it's, and then and then the making out progresses into like a playing house montage over I don't know how many days she stays at this guy's house. Oh yeah, because after her mom dies, uh, her jerk dad, you know, she like leaves her jerk stepdad's house and. Uh, goes to live with Tommy, and then there's like, yeah, these really weird, again, odd male gaze uh, sex scene, um, and then like, to the and then it ends the scene with uh, Tommy having a fake French waiter mustache, as you do, sure, uh, yeah. So uh, there's this, co- so she finds, you know, uh, Robin obviously makes the team. Um, for some reason, uh, you know, the coach goes from being like really supportive to really actively evil. Uh, so so evil. Uh, so she, there's this uh, regional. T- the main course of the movie is that uh, regionals are coming up, and the coach is going to select uh, three girls to represent the team. Um, and so at one point, she puts uh, Robin on the team, and then it's revealed later that. She only did that to motivate uh, the evil bully uh, because she knew that she started working harder because she hated Robin for no reason. Uh, and so the coach was just using uh, Robin to to motivate her. And it's like, 
And then at the end, the coach is nice again. So it's all over the place in terms of uh, that. And then Carly also has an eating disorder, which is a subplot that comes out of nowhere and then disappears just as quick. Um, yeah, like that, that comes up in the middle of like the, the locker room and the coach is like, I have to say this, they do buck the usual cliche when it comes to gymnastics stories mm-hmm. in that the coach is not supportive of the eating disorder at all. Sure, yeah. Like, the, the coach threatens to drag her to a doctor herself, which, mm-hmm. I mean, if you knew anything about gymnastics or gymnastics stories in the media, um, like, you know, Lifetime movies and stuff like that, the coach is usually very supportive of those on a, on a low-key level. Sure. So that, that, that was maybe an interesting change that doesn't really play all that well because it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Because it, that, that, it would be one thing if, again, this movie is, you know, 85 minutes, not including credits. So it's very... Uh, again, it feels like they introduce subplots just for uh, to give some very surface level motivation, but then never follow up on any of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it does come across as though they introduce a lot of subplots just to justify the theatrical length. Mm-hmm. It's like you need, yeah, it needs to be at least 80 minutes, so let's do it. Let's throw it, you know. Um, and like then, the, like the gymnastics throwdown at the drive-in restaurant. Oh right, uh, that's one of the. They just they're, uh, you know, at a drive-in hanging out, uh, and then they have a impromptu gymnastics competition, and of course people randomly turn their headlights on to create a you know spotlight, and and uh, somehow the concrete doesn't shatter everyone's ankles. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, Robin, they're doing handsprings left and right, and just everybody's fine. <laughs> Yeah, Robin does a handspring over a car and lands on the concrete, and it's not a big deal. Um, and then the coach is there, obviously, because that's, you know, you need more conflict. Uh, and it I looks guess- like she's just getting groceries from the drive-in restaurant, from the way that they shoot it. <laughs> yeah, and why she's at this drive-in with a bunch of teenagers getting groceries, I guess she just needed to be there. Um, I mean, then- you, you get the feeling that Buffalo is not all that large a town. Right. And I didn't realize it was in Buffalo until maybe the end where they were saying where they were, unless I was just not paying attention to that detail. But um, I didn't actually hear the words Buffalo until the like last scene of the movie. But Oh, nor, nor did I. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then there's that weird pep talk from her very obviously like stereotypical black friend. Oh, yeah. She's got two stereotypical <laughs> black friends. She's got the... Uh, Bust, Actually, three work. if you count the security guard from the beginning, yeah, who never the, shows up again. Uh, but isn't no, isn't it the guy at the end? I thought it was the same. Is that the same guy? I think so. But again, maybe you know, it's not our fault that we don't know whether or not she has. I don't even know if they give him a name, right? Uh, yeah. So she has, you know, the bus driver and the security guard, and possibly a third mysterious guy that we don't know. Um, and they're related, right? Like the oh yeah, they're. At one point, he says, my cousin. So, yeah, uh, I guess that's how she found this. Again, we're all piecing this together because this, the movie does not spell this out. Not at all. Uh, yeah, so when she finally... There's a mon- another montage of uh, Robin proving herself uh, to the coach to let her on the team anyway, even though she was just a ploy. Uh, and she does it. You know, she obviously, she has to get there. Um the story and, dictates it. Yep. And then the final montage is when they're finally in um, Niagara Falls for the regional competition. Uh, you know, they have the uh, filing down of the 
of the competitors until right. it comes down to uh, so there's this like maybe 13 year old girl who's like a prodigy who's better than Com- everyone comic, uh, comically <laughs> younger I mean like to yeah. the point where it's like they're beating up on a kid <laughs> and so she uh, goes up and she's you know basically the shoe in for gold and she gets injured uh, in a pretty brutal like uh, she just like lands hard on her shoulder yeah and- <laughs> face plants I mean it's it's bad <laughs> Uh, so she's out, and then so it finally comes down to uh, Robin, Leia, and then some of the other, you know, other people. Uh, and Leia gets, you know, gets really good. She's uh, in first place, uh, and then she gets, you know, Robin gets kind of scared uh, and leaves, and then gets an inspirational speech from her bus driver best friend, uh, who interrupts her her drunk stepfather like beating oh right right yeah so she comes back from this uh inspirational speech and then of course her stepdad's there for no reason and she says like mar like her stepsister uh who she bonded with earlier in the movie so they're friends now uh said i wanted to come with but then you got into a bar it's like okay we just needed a drunk guy there to uh finally start you know hitting her and she's he like throws her up against lockers uh, smacks her around a little bit and she lands hard on the bad knee and oh no is she gonna be okay yes she's fine <laughs> uh so tommy uh and the bus driver and possibly the security guard uh come in and intervene uh and then robin uh you know obviously she's gonna win so she does this routine she crushes it gets a perfect 10 uh and that's the movie you know like she it almost literally ends on a freeze frame of everyone smiling. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to end there. I was like, okay, at least it's, but then it keeps going and does one of those. Like dancing down the street while the credits run. Right. Again, that's pretty much flying, a.k.a. Dream to Believe, a.k.a. Teenage Dream. Uh, not a very deep movie. This is the kind of movie that I expected to be, you know, in Keanu's uh, early work. Uh, I talked about in the River's Edge episode that I... Didn't expect that to be, you know, to have such a meaty and interesting role for his first time out. Uh, this is the kind of movie that I expected, but it's really the, it's one of the few Keanu movies that I can't recommend. Uh, I mean, if you're into 80s uh, sports dramas, obviously you can do worse, I guess. Uh, but again, it's hard to find. You could also do some, you could also do a good bit better. Oh, of course. Um, I, I would say that it's one of the, the few movies uh, sports movies that is that focuses on gymnastics there aren't that many that focus on that sport that's true so in some ways you know it following a formula kind of makes sense because it's trying to like legitimize the sport in the audience's eyes yeah and i can see you know i, I bet at the time uh teenager maybe some girls were inspired to go out for gymnastics from this movie but i can't imagine how many it is considering how hard the movie is to find it's not Something that's been remastered or anything. Um, was was not a box office smash, no. No. Um, yeah, so thanks, Sean, uh, for coming on. Uh, do you have any, before we go, do you have any plugs? Do you write for any specific websites, perhaps? Uh, the only website I write for at the moment is uh, talkfilmsociety.com, where you are an associate editor. Awesome. And uh, where can the fine folks find you on uh, the Twitters? You can find me on Twitter at, at @vindication, where it, like the word vindication, but Sean is the last four letters. 
So, confession, I just, I didn't piece that together before. <laughs> so, my mind is blown. So, thank you uh, for that. Uh, great. I'm a sucker for a good pun. So, <laughs> uh, so thanks everyone for listening. Uh, join me next time where my guest and I will be discussing the music drama Permanent Record. Until then, keep being excellent to each other, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>